0: Amen. You may be seated. I'll invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn over to Acts chapter 1. For this morning, we'll read the prologue, verses 1 through 5. and I'm going to preach these five verses at the end of the sermon. All right. Did y'all catch that? Introductions of the Bible are fascinating. And when it comes to the book of Acts, this particular book is absolutely fascinating because what you have is Luke, volume 2. Okay, so Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Listen to the word of the Lord. You can stand if you'd like and honor the reading, or you can sit, whichever one you want to do. The Bible says, in the first book, O... Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You may be seated. So, we start our journey expositionally through the book of Acts. Don't know how long this is going to take, but it will take a long time, okay, for sure. When you mention the fact that Acts is volume 2, so you have Luke 1 and really Luke 2, what we mean by that is, normally, before you had your copy of God's Word, God's Word canonically, Meaning, the way you read it now, Genesis all the way to Revelation, there was a canonized way that that took place. Where when you look at your Bible today, you've got the books given the way you have them. But they were not always given that way, you understand. And back years and years ago, when you would see Luke, you would always see Luke-Acts. It wasn't separated by John-Acts you saw volume 1, volume 2 together, Luke-Acts. Much like you would see, for instance, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, and 1 and 2 Chronicles. In terms of the length of the book of Luke, you must know that Luke is the longest of the four Gospels, right? When it comes to Acts, you have 28 chapters. I hope you understand what what that means. As you hold your Bible in your hand, the New Testament, one-fourth of it, was written by Luke. That's a large chunk of the New Testament given to us, so it's extremely important. So, Acts was written, of course, by Luke, and in all likelihood, Luke was a physician. If you've been around church life, if you've been in Sunday school, I'm sure you have heard that over the years but he's also a historian and in liberal circles for many many years we had liberal scholars who criticized Luke as a historian because they said Luke has all of these inaccuracies in terms of history and politics and medicine and so on it's pretty fascinating in the last 75 years he's been Luke has been vindicated as perhaps the greatest historian that ever lived. That's not an accident, you understand. It's by divine intervention that he wrote the book, so we realize that. But in terms of history and politics and medicine, we've learned that Luke actually spoke with precision. You know, from the vantage point of people like us living in the 21st century, we rely 100% on historians that wrote years and years and years ago. It's kind of interesting that we take that, or the uh, people take that as gospel, but when it comes to the Bible being written, they've got to tear it apart. But just think about that for a moment. We look at Herodotus and Tacitus and Pliny and Josephus and all of the uh, writers that wrote years and years ago, and all of these scholars are subjected to rigorous Historical, uh, just tearing their work apart to make sure they were accurate. And one cert, one such scholar, uh, several years ago, let's say in uh, the late 1900s, his name was Ramsey, and he actually was one of these critical scholars. And his goal was to to go after the Book of Luke with, I mean, after the Book of Acts with skepticism. And his thing was, you know, I'm skeptical about all the historical stuff found in in Acts. And I don't think Luke was accurate. So he entered into this as a skeptic. And what he said was this, I'm going to study all of the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys. And I'm going to see if there's any validity to the history that Luke gave us. And he started out as a skeptic. He looked at all the ruins and the landscape and the titles and the rulers and the magistrates and the foreign cities and he began a skeptic and he ended up a believer. Isn't that awesome? He ended up finding out the incredible accuracies of the Word of God. Now you know me well enough to know that uh, I believe the word of God is the unvarnished truth, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. It is fallible and in, it is infallible and inerrant in everything it says. And I do not need the verification of a secular archaeologist to convince me that Luke was accurate. I already knew that. They should have just asked me, and I'd have told them that he was precisely right. But the fact is, uh, his work has been checked more than everybody else's in the world, and his is precisely. Accurate. Now, are we sure Luke wrote it? I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on authorship. This is an introduction. But suffice it to say, the we passages are very, very strong. You know what that means? 97 times in the book of Acts, Luke refers to the missionary journeys as we were doing these things. Which means the author had to be with the group that was doing the missionary efforts. So we call them we passages, and that third person pronoun is used 97 times. And regarding the date of Acts, was it earlier 60? Was it late 70? Most of your liberal scholars say that it was way after the events had taken place. Well, I beg to differ because when Luke finishes Acts, he has Paul in prison. And he has Paul preaching the gospel from prison. Now folks, if Paul would have been dead, which was after 70, then there's no way Luke would have written that without telling us that Paul was dead. Okay, So there's a good chance that Acts was probably written by Luke between 60 and 62 AD while Paul is yet in prison, but he's preaching the kingdom. And so it is. Kind of a, a short intro to Acts in the manner of authorship, dating. But now let's ask a couple of questions in our sermon this morning. Number one, what is Acts. You see that in the outline? What is Acts? First, Acts is history and theology. On the one hand, when we go through Acts and we're preaching it, there's no question that this is called in the genre of historical narrative. There is a story being told, but the story is rooted in eyewitness accounts meaning the apostles and or Luke, their eyewitness accounts. But please don't miss this. It's not only history, it is theology. This is the way that the biblical writers wrote. They're not just giving you historical info. They're giving you historical info to teach you certain principles about the main theme of the Bible, which is God. Okay? That's why they're doing this. So get this in your mind as we study Acts. It is about history and theology. So they did not just write about historical facts, such as Jesus did this and Jesus did that, and this, that, and the other. They wrote with theology in mind. They were teaching you about God. So the book of Acts ends up being an incredibly unique contribution when it comes to the New Testament. Think about this. You have four Gospels of the accounts of the ministry, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Four of those. But you only have one source for the history of the early church. So this is vitally important for us to see. So what is Acts? Everybody say it. Acts is... And... All right. You're doing good so far. Here's the second thing. Acts is a bridge. What we actually know today church family, about the New Testament or the life of the apostles or the life of the church if the book of Acts did not exist? Just think about that for a moment. If you're a student of the Word, what would we know today if we did not have the book of Acts? What would we know about the Gospels and how the epistles fit together with the Gospels? What, we know, what would we know about Pentecost or Paul or the church in Jerusalem? And how that the gospel of the king is spreading to the ends of the earth. How will we know that without the book of Acts? So Acts is a bridge. And what do we know about a bridge? It connects two things together. And so Acts will first connect the gospels with the theology of the epistles. It's a bridge to tell us, what, uh, to tell us the theology of what's happening in the gospels. So Acts is a bridge between what we see happening in the Gospels and yet what we see talked about in the Epistles. Now, I know I'm probably educating some of you, but stick with me, okay? You will get it through the preaching of Acts, but that's what Acts is. But there's not only this connection to help us see the Gospels and the Epistles together, but it's also a connection to the early church and me and you, right? There's this incredible connection of a bridge between the ministry of our Lord, the ministry of the apostles in the early church, and it didn't stop there. That's why we're meeting today, folks. Hello, Tokyo. Are y'all awake? That's why we're a church today, because God is continuing His work. So the book of Acts tells us how we got to be who we are and where we are. there's an interesting story in Acts chapter 16 where Paul has it in his mind to go east, but instead he goes west. And you would not be sitting in this church today had Paul not gone west. As a matter of fact, the gospel would have gone first to China, but instead it went to the Europeans and ultimately came to us. Isn't that awesome? Now, We're going to take the gospel there, and the gospel is going there. But just think about for a moment how awesome that is when the angel of the Lord says, No, don't go that way. Go this way. That's awesome. That's what we learn in the book of Acts. So it's not only a bridge from the gospels to the epistles, which is so incredibly important, but it's also this bridge to us today. And I'm so thankful that the gospel came to us and that we're able... To It's a bridge also from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Acts helps us see that the life, get this, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is actually the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. Isn't that awesome? Without Acts, we can't see that. Acts gives us critical events regarding the Christ events. And unfortunately, the Church of the Living God leaves out two huge Christ events. Often, the outpouring of the Spirit and the ascension. And those are just as critical and important as the life, death, burial, and resurrection and second coming of the Son of God. Those two events are just as critical. And without them, we're in trouble. So, thank God, we we have the inauguration and advancement of the kingdom of God in the book of Acts which is nothing less than God fulfilling everything that he promised in the Old Testament. Acts is history and theology. Acts is a bridge. Here's the third thing. Acts is the greatest missionary story ever told and the greatest missionary handbook ever written. Write that down. Chew on it. It's important for you to think about it. When you think about Acts, you should think about the word mission. Not missions okay you should think about the word mission and i say mission and not missions why because the church really only has one mission and the book of acts has given it to us it's the universal gospel of the G- of the lord jesus christ becoming universal in application and experience all the way to the ends of the earth Did y'all know that's what this church is here for don't look at me so spiritual Right? Did y'all know that's why we're here? Uh, to propagate that universal gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that becomes universal to those who receive Him in experience and in application. The gospel goes all the way back to God's covenant with Abraham. And guess what? Our God is going to fulfill His promise. He's got the goods to get it done. He's made the promise, and that's what you see happening And when we quickly realize that God's covenant with Abraham has a global realization. As many as the sands on the seashore. It has a global realization. So God intends for the gospel to go to the nations. The gospel is a message for the nations. They're going to learn it quickly. It's not just for the Jews. And in order for God to teach His apostles that, He just kicks them out of Jerusalem through persecution. He's going to take it to the ends of the earth. It's not just for Jewish people. It's for Gentiles and extends to the farthest parts of the world. The inclusion of the Gentiles into the gospel is the very fulfillment of what God told Abraham from the beginning. We should all be thankful for this. We have this gospel conquest. I like that title better for Acts. The conquest of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in my mind, it looks a lot like Joshua, doesn't it? God says, Go possess the land. Take, take what is yours. Go possess the land. It's conquest. That's what Joshua was about. Well, New, the New Testament equivalent to that is much like Acts. It's the conquest of the kingdom of the Son of God. But here's the interesting thing. This kingdom's gonna face opposition, is it not? At every turn as we go through the book of Acts, men of God are going to be preaching the word of God and they're going to have opposition. But the word of God is going to triumph in every single situation. Isn't that awesome? God is going to triumph no matter what. There's no question that when Luke is writing the book of Acts, he has this theology of glory. And I love this. This church exists. Its number one purpose is to glorify God. And that's exactly what the the lesson is in the book of Acts. This is a theology of glory. And there's something awesome about the triumph of the gospel as you read through the book of Acts. It is captivating. And it is striking how awesome the gospel is to put anybody on their knees and to transform their hearts. That's what we see in the book of Acts. It has incredible power. So Luke also makes us aware that the triumph of the gospel comes, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's glorious, but it also comes through suffering. And I know this is not something that we're akin to in the United States of America. We don't like to hear the word suffering. But folks, we're going to see a lot of this as we preach through the book of Acts. Luke, Luke embraces a theology of glory, but a theology of suffering. And I want you to think about the king hanging on the cross, who suffered immensely for us to pay for our sin. It was through His suffering that He entered into His glory. How could we ever think that it's going to be any different for us? Through much suffering, we shall all endure before we enter into our glory. We forget about those things, don't we? So what is the real title of the book of Acts? Acts. Basically, remember this, Luke presents suffering as the very vehicle whereby the gospel advances to the nations. That hurts my heart, folks, because we sit in luxury, don't we? Is everybody looking at me? I'm going to talk about Eutychus in a moment, and I will preach hard to you if you act like Eutychus in Acts 20. Okay? You don't know the story yet, but you will. But look, let's think about this for a moment. We sit... And we think that real Christianity is getting ready on Sunday morning, putting on our suit and tie if we wear those things, whatever. And we come to church and we meet with our people. We're here for a little while, but go home. That's the extent of Christianity. That's not the Christianity given in the Bible. The Christianity given in the Bible is that we will suffer for His cause and we will have opposition if we wear His name like we should. And, And it will be suffering that we endure. Now you can get mad, sad, glad, don't really matter. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I stand under condemnation just like everybody in this church because I live the American dream too. But the American way and the American dream, unfortunately, is not the Bible dream and the Bible way. So when we, when we see these things, it's, it's convicting to us. Now, what about the title of the book of Acts? It's traditionally been called the Acts of the Apostles. About a hundred years ago, a New Testament scholar suggested it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Well, I think that's better because the Acts of the Apostles would have the... and You know, you would more begin to think about the instrument more than the one doing the work, meaning God, the Lord God. So, the Acts of the Holy Spirit could end up concentrating only on the Spirit and not the human instruments. So what is the best thing? Well, uh, John Stott says a good title would be The Continuing Words and Deeds of Jesus Christ Through His Holy Spirit by His Apostles. Well, I like that. But why don't we just try this? Let's call it Acts. Amen? Why don't we just call it Acts and be done with it? But surely, ultimately, it is about the Lord Jesus Christ doing His work by His Spirit and through His Spirit Through the apostles. Now, what about the structure of Acts? Well, Luke was a literary master. I'm not a Greek scholar, but Greek scholars tell us that this is exceptional Greek. It's at the top of the ladder. There are two ways that the structure unfolds in the book of Acts. Okay. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And some of you are saying, Glad you got to the Bible, preacher, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All right, now look over to nine fifteen. We're talking about structure, right? Nine fifteen. This is in the context of Paul's conversion. Verse 15, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now, structurally, keep those two things in mind. And you shall be my witnesses when the Spirit comes upon you in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then that Acts 9.15 was given after Paul's conversion, regarding Paul's life and ministry. God says, he came riding on a high horse to persecute Christians. I knocked him off of it, saved him, and now I've chosen him as an instrument who will give the gospel before kings and the sons of Israel. Now, thinking about that logically, if you follow Acts and preach through it and teach through Acts, then you see the geographical structure given in acts chapter 1 Jerusalem Judea Samaria outermost parts of the earth so acts 1 through 7 will focus on Jerusalem okay acts 8 through 12 will end up covering Judea and Samaria and acts 13 Paul will focus Paul will become the focal point but after acts 13 and acts 13 through 28 we're going to see the gospel going to the ends of the earth. In chapters 13 through 20, it is before Gentiles. Does that sound like nine fifteen? It's before Gentiles. In 13 through 20, it'll be Gentiles. 24 to 26, it'll be Kings. and chapter 22 and 28, it will be before the sons of Israel. So in the book of Acts, we see the gospel of the king. The Lord Jesus Christ becoming universal in application from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. Luke is a master. And he will end every geographical section with a summary of how that gospel is advancing. Why is he doing that? He wants you to know that the gospel of Jesus Christ will triumph. Let me give you an example. Chapter 6, toward the end of one of those sections... Here's what he says in 6-7. Here's a summary statement. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Hey, when preachers start getting saved, that's good stuff, right? It says preachers became, or priests became obedient to the faith. And then 9-31, let me give you another example of a break. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It, y'all see the word, multiplied. So we see the successive stages of the gospel as outlined in Acts 1-8 come into fruition as we study through the book of Acts. So basically Luke is telling us that Jesus Christ, folks, is still at work. Right? It's all that he began to do and to teach and what he is continuing to do. So the Jesus that I told you about in my gospel, Luke would say to us, is the same Jesus I'm telling you is at work today. He's at work today. He's working from a different position. He's working from a position of exaltation. His heavenly throne and he's moving in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls through his spirit and his church. And he's making... The gospel of Jesus Christ, universal in proclamation, in experience, and in application. Now, briefly, because this is one of those things where if I don't finish, I'll stop, okay? (laughs) What is Acts? It is theology and history. History and theology. It's a bridge. It's It's the greatest missionary story ever told. Greatest missionary handbook ever written. And we get to study it. Isn't that awesome? Now, here's the second question. What is Acts? That's the first one. Here's the second one. Why study the book of Acts? Let me summarize this for you. Here's a statement. The book of Acts puts the acts of Jesus Christ through His Holy Spirit in and through the church on glorious display. I mean, that's a great summation of what we see in the book of Acts Why study the book of Acts? Because the Lord Jesus Christ and His work is what's on display. And that's something awesome. And it's through His Holy Spirit. It's a tremendous edifying book for us today. Think about this. We're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit as the one coming to fill or to make the fullness of the Spirit of God in order for the gospel to advance. Without the coming of the Spirit, there is no gospel advance. Hope you understand that. So we're seeing the Lord of glory at work in and through His church. And it's on glorious display. It's happening through His Holy Spirit. So it's edifying as we see the power of the gospel. And we see Jesus at work. We see God's people standing in the face of opposition and saying, Jesus, we're going to hear Peter say, You crucified the Lord of glory. Talk about boldness. Boldness. Yes, right before the ones that could take his life, he's boldly saying this. Today, more than any other day in the history of our world, we need to be built up in the confidence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's not another gospel. There's only one. There's no pluralistic way of getting to heaven where all roads lead there. No, that's not true. And the church today needs to be emboldened. To stand in the face of opposition with confidence in the gospel that God can change lives. We need that confidence, folks. I want to remind you of something. It is the Holy Spirit of God that brings the power and the witness. He is the power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power. Yeah, right? Put those two things together. He's living in power. You, He's the power and the witness. And check this out. The Holy Spirit is the one who who makes the witnesses. And He's also the one who empowers the witnesses. The whole ball of wax when it comes to gospel witness is the Holy Spirit's preoccupation. That's what He's doing. So we ought to all have Confidence in the gospel, folks. Who is it that convicts the heart of a sinner and brings them to Jesus? Talk to me. What did Jesus say about that? No one comes to the Father unless the Spirit. Look, there is no salvation unless the Spirit of God is at work. So, folks, when you're sharing Jesus with people and when you're praying about your lost loved ones, look, you don't need to say and think, "Oh, I don't know if Jesus can overcome this. I don't know if the gospel can accomplish." Folks. You don't need to be ashamed of the power of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You, you should never question if the gospel has power. I'm telling you, folks, he's got the power to get it done every single time. Now, it's up to our God if he does it or not. But we don't need to sit around thinking, well, I just don't think Jesus can change this person's life. Yes, he can. It doesn't matter who it is. We need to be built up in the confidence not that, that Trump's gonna make America great again. The only confidence I have is that Jesus Christ can still save sinners. Right? And and that's what Acts does to us. In the strictest, most difficult opposition that could ever be imagined, God came through. God saved his people. And 3,000 were added. And 5,000 were added. And the gospel is proceeding to the ends of the earth. And you're sitting in a church today because you believed in the gospel. We need to have confidence in the gospel. Right? So, the book of Acts. Why study it? It puts the gospel of Jesus Christ through His Spirit at full center stage. And we see it gloriously displayed in the life of the church. And here's the second thing. and This is concluding. Right? The book of Acts instructs us. And it motivates us as a church in our life together. It motivates us. It gives us the instructions we need in the very mission together. Now think about that, folks. This is, if you're saved today and you're a member of this church, this is life together under the Word. It, it, it motivates us in the mission. And I, my prayer is that when we conclude the book of Acts, we ought to be more excited about the mission. Not missions. That's part of it. But you ought to be more excited about the mission. That's the advancement of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ through experience and application to the ends of the earth. Now when you read and you see the boldness of these people and these preachers and and the men of God being willing to put their faith on the line and talk about Jesus... If we can go through the entire book of Acts and study all this and not come away with a desire with a desire to speak like they spoke about what they talked about, then we've missed the point. Are y'all listening? We've missed the point. If you can see these men and women dying for the cause of Christ and vocally talking about their faith and sharing Jesus with others, if that doesn't instruct you and motivate you into evangelistic efforts... If we can witness how the gospel spreads in power, unhindered, uninhibited by gospel power, then something's wrong with us if we don't want to be a part of that. Right? In the church, there's the saints, and then there's the ain'ts. Right? If you're a saint, and you can read Acts, and not be motivated to share your faith, then something's bad, wrong. If you can study this book, see the heartbeat for God. Now listen to this. It's the enlightening of the mind that comes first, and then the burning heart. And we're going to learn a lot of theology here, and some of you are going to think, well, I've never heard that before. I thought the AG believed this, and these people believe this. I don't care what they believe. We're going to find out what this book says. Okay? Straight and honest, reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God. But let me tell you something. It always begins, if you're believing correctly, with the enlightenment of the mind. And then it moves to the burning heart. And what we need in this church is to get the mind enlightened. And the only thing that can enlighten the mind is the truth of the Word of God. And I'm telling you, folks, when you get your theology straight, you'll know what your need is in your heart. It doesn't come vice versa. Where you say, oh, i got this need, God. No, you find your need from the Word of God. And then you ask God to speak to the need of your life. When you know the truth of the Word. So it motivates us in our life together. We're going to conclude with this part. Now, here's a question. Is everything in the book of Acts normative for us today? I mean, when we read Acts, do we say, hmm, functionally, we need to do everything as we think is prescribed to us in the book of Acts. So the question is, is it normative? You know, the fact of the matter is, in other words, do we read the book of Acts and say that's exactly what we should do? That's the question. Well, folks, when it comes to applying Scripture and reading it and studying it, you need to understand that there's two different kinds of assessment from reading it. Is this prescriptive or is it descriptive? Those two things are vitally important. If it's prescriptive, it's prescribed to us, If it is descriptive, it's simply describing what has taken place. And sometimes this distinction between prescription or description is not all that clean, right? It's not all that clear. This is because some things in the Bible are prescriptive but may not be prescribed to us. And other things are descriptive and there may be some type of prescription after it and prescribed to our lives. So in other words, Paul tells Timothy to bring his cloak to Troas because it's winter time. Now folks, this is prescriptive. But God is not asking any of you to take a cloak to a man that's in heaven today in Troas. Y'all get that? He tells Timothy to do this, but it will be impossible for that to be prescribed for you to do today. On the other hand, some things that are descriptive may be intended to be prescribed to us for us to do in the life of our church. This is where I'm headed with this. Okay, I had a reason for saying that. Most of the time, people from a charismatic perspective want the book of Acts to be totally normative for the church's life. And they believe that all of Acts is to be prescribed for us today. Well, I disagree with that 100%. There is absolutely no way that certain parts of the book of Acts can be totally prescriptive, can be totally prescriptive for the church today. I like to say this to my charismatic brethren. I don't know anybody in America that sells all they have, takes the money and puts it in a pot. Hey, I'll put the pot out today if y'all want to do it. Right? I mean, if you're going to say certain parts are prescribed and certain parts are not, well, the Bible says they sold, Mr. Jim, they sold everything they had and gave it to the church. All right, folks, who's up for that? Man, I lost every one of you in my sermon, right? Start talking about money. I don't know of a case with all the tongue-speaking hoopla and propaganda that there's ever been a claim that they actually saw a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire. I've never heard that before. That's not even written in the charismaniac books, right? I don't even see that written in the books, that they've seen a, a mighty rushing wind and cloven tongues of fire visibly. If you say it's totally prescriptive, I would just say to you that some things in the book of Acts cannot be prescriptive for today. If you think everything's prescriptive, then I put you in the place of Ananias and Sapphira. Any of you lied to the Holy Spirit lately? Are you alive? You better be thankful you don't live in that era because they could have carried you out and buried you just like they did Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 5. Aren't y'all excited about studying Acts 5? First recorded case when someone was slain in the Spirit, but they didn't get up. They lied to the Holy Spirit. Hmm, prescriptive. Acts chapter 20. There's a young lad sitting in the balcony. Acts chapter 20 verse 9. The Bible says the preaching was going long. It says that. As Paul preached longer. Some of you say, you're akin to Paul, preacher, right? Well, Paul is preaching. And Eutychus falls asleep in the balcony. And he falls headlong from the balcony and he dies. Is that prescriptive today? I'd like to see that happen here. This right, You better not fall out of the balcony asleep because I'm not Paul, right? You'll just lay there dead. Okay? But look, folks, I'm trying to make a point to you. As as important as the book of Acts is, in redemptive history, it is so vitally, absolutely unique and important. And, And we think about that prescriptive. We need to navigate carefully. We need to be sensitive to the historical setting. And we need to navigate carefully to find out what principles in the book of Acts need to be applied today prescriptively for us. We need to be really wise about that. But there are other people who look at Acts and say it's all descriptive and none of it applies. I disagree with both of those things. We need to be sensible to the historical milieu of what's going on. And we need to provide some abiding principles that we can apply to life. Not everything in Acts is foundational. Not everything in Acts is reproducible. But the foundation does determine the contours of the building once we start building. Right? So Acts is going to be really, really important. Now, I want to go through the first five verses, but I can't do it. But here's the deal. For you, this morning, I want to ask you a question. Why are you here? What does this church exist for? I mean, we're just inside the door of another year. I mean, you're just kicking the new off, right? Just coming into the new year. I don't know about you, church family, but I want this to be the greatest year in my own personal walk with Jesus that I've ever had. That's what I desire. Now, I know when I say that, (laughs) I'm opening up myself to whatever God wants to do to get that accomplished. And I'm okay with that. But here's the deal. I also want that to be true of this church body. God has brought me here at a unique time. He's placed you here at a unique time. He has this church positioned here in one of the fastest growing counties in the state of Missouri. He's got us with all kinds of resources. And the more I study the Word and think about my own life and the life of churches, what other reason would there be for God to bless people like us with so many financial blessings? The only reason I can think about that is so that we can use that to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, let's be honest. Just brush everything else to the side, peripheral. Let's just focus. God, why would you have blessed my family and this and put us in a country like this, giving us a church like this, giving us good jobs and, and money like we have it. More than 99% of the people in the whole world. There's only one other explanation for that. One good explanation. God, you intend for people like us to do all that we can to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Amen? And to make disciples. So let's just have a unified understanding today. If you're saved today, all I've given you is the truth. Right? Right? God intends to take His gospel to the ends of the earth. Nothing will stop that. Not even your unwillingness to do it. You're not going to stop it. But don't you really want to be on the same playing field with the king? Right? Don't you? That's what we want to be as a church. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love for us. Lord, I, I, I praise you so much for the book of Acts. Lord, I know this was probably an information overload. Lord, I, I thank you, however... That your spirit takes the preached word and he applies it to lives. Lord, I don't have the power to affect change in anyone. Only you do. And Lord, I'm just praying, Father, that, uh, Lord, all pretense aside, all presumptuousness aside, Lord, I need you, Lord, more today in my life than ever before. And I'm thankful for the gospel changing me. Not just initially as a nine-year-old boy, but every single day. We live in light of the gospel. And Lord, we can't get away from the mandates of the Word. We can't get away from, uh, Lord, the book of Acts and how it's presented to us. How that the King is in His conquest. It's not the kingdom that is coming, it's the kingdom that is here. Lord, I pray that, Lord, You would use this church, First Baptist Ozark, one of Your church families, as we live life together under Your Word, would You use this church... Lord, just chip away at areas that are not aligned with your sovereignty and your desire for this church. But, Lord, uh, Father, I know you're such, you're such a patient, Father, and we all need patience because we're so far away from what we need to be. But, God, as we preach through Acts, would you open our hearts and minds through your word? Would you affect change? Lord, your goal is that your fame would spread to the ends of the earth. We want to be a part of that. Lord, help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.